Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Healthcare revitalises the high street, brought to you in association with Assura. Hear me and thank you for joining us this afternoon. Um, I must confess there's always a bit of trepidation when you're asked to come and do events like this, largely because the sort of dynamics of the panel, you never really know how that's going to work. But I met these guys over online last week and I was blown away really by their enthusiasm and their ability really to challenge the norms to create totally different outcomes. I think a lot of that chimes with what we're doing at Ashore in terms of healthcare on the high street and trying to bring about a reinvigoration of the high streets. But these guys have sort of taken that to another level and I'm delighted to introduce you to Hannah, Ashley and Serena who will talk to you, well, they'll introduce their titles and they'll talk to you about their, the projects that they're working on at the moment and then we'll have a little bit of a discussion. And really, questions from yourself as well, please, at the end. I think you're all familiar with Slido now. So, pardon? Uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll do the old-fashioned stick-up hands and we'll move on from there as well. So, without further ado, Hannah. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Hannah Brewster. I'm an architect. Um, I'm healthcare sector director for ADP Architecture, so I lead healthcare across the practice. Um, I've specialised in healthcare for the last 15 years across all kind of uh, types of, of healthcare. Um, I'm really kind of passionate about this whole Health on the High Street initiative um, and working with Ash and Serena on um, a project currently. Hi, so I'm, I'm Ash Boreham. I'm the Chief Deputy Officer for Strategy and Transformation for NHS Dorset. Um, I've been with NHS for three years and I focus on modular designs. Before that I did 27 years in defence medical services, uh, exhibitionary medicine and before that I was a market trader and commodity broker in London which has got nothing to do with architecture at all. <laughs> uh, my name is Serena Davis, I'm a programme manager at NHS Dorset um, and working on the outpatient assessment centre that we'll talk about in a moment um, but before that my previous um, experience is in retail so I worked for Debate Smith for a very long time um, and headed up the store development for the high street business. Okay. So, just to sort of set a bit of a context, um, I think we're all very much aware of the, the challenges of the environment around us. Uh, we've had the COVID pandemic, we've got NHS pressures, sort of huge pressures, both in terms of backlog waiting lists, uh, the workforce crisis, we've got climate crisis, cost of living crisis, mental health and wellbeing challenges, um, and a far greater sort of appreciation of our surroundings and where we learn, work and live. Uh, a number of these factors have certainly contributed to the impact on our high streets. Uh, the sort of very familiar sites of vacant properties um, across towns and cities up and down the country. So NHS activity has grown year on year. Um, over the last nine years, the number of attendances in A&E has uh, gone up by nearly 4.3 million, um, and the number of GP appointments has risen by nearly 90 million in the last 25 years, which is a you know, significant uplift. Um, social care um, has seen activity grow, we have a growing and ageing population, and with that comes an increasing complexity of diseases. As medical care advances, there are more treatments available and more conditions can be treated and managed. And then the pandemic has certainly caused short, short medium and long-term impacts on our health across the country and shone a spotlight on health inequalities. So the question is whether by looking at the two issues of health challenges and vacant high streets, could there be an opportunity to collectively improve our environment? Can vacant shopping centres and high streets be successfully repurposed for health services? 
This isn't a new idea. Um, it's something that has been looked at in various areas across the country. There are pockets of innovation um, and culture change happening. There's some really forward-thinking um, organisations, particularly NHS Dorset, on the stage with me today. Um, but there is definitely an opportunity to, rev to sort of view a more national strategy rather than just this local initiative. In order to take forward a national strategy, we need to understand if there is a fit. That's a fit between what we're going to need in terms of the physical space to deliver health services and whether there's an equivalent kind of match in terms of vacant properties, and that's suitable vacant properties. So it's absolutely appreciated that the high street isn't going to be right for everything. It's only going to be suitable for certain types of health services. So it's the lower acuity, it's your outpatient type services. And the, also the appropriateness of what can be delivered is going to be determined by what can be effectively managed and staffed. So it's looking at the size of that particular unit. So taking these into consideration, it's been estimated that in the coming years, uh, we are potentially going to need approximately 1.25 million square metres of space to deliver health services. One million of that uh, is about moving appropriate outpatient type services off of the acute site into a community-based setting. That's to then allow the hospital sites to increase the acuity and treat the most unwell patients. The other 250,000 square metres is about fulfilling requirements under uh, the Primary Care Network Manifesto, which is about additional roles, it's about more integrated care. So looking at the sort of supply side of it, uh, the estimated total quantum of vacant shopping centres that meet the criteria in terms of size is looking at about 1.6 million square metres. So on the face of it, there is a kind of a fit. Now that's a significant amount of space to look at and to mobilise that is going to be far from easy. So being very mindful of our climate and carbon challenge, it would seem wrong to build all of that as new. The NHS Net Zero Building Standard was published in February this year. Um, it's a real step forward for the NHS. Uh, it's got a significant push on retrofits and repurposing buildings. But we need to very much consider how we plan spaces to test and challenge what we think we need against what we actually need. Um, ensuring we're providing flexible spaces, spaces that can adapt and evolve. Um, the health environment is continually advancing and developing and we need our spaces that we're undertaking that service in to be supportive of that. This sort of testing and challenging uh, aspect is something that Ash and Serena will pick up on and it's been a, a kind of real driver for NHS Dorset in the programme that they've been undertaking. So taking the kind of clear supply and demand correlation, there's a huge potential in how the challenges in health and high street settings can create opportunities of collective benefit. So health is as much about wellness as it is illness. In recent years, there's been a far greater emphasis um, an understanding on the focus on preventative health and well-being. It's not just about clinical in intervention and treatment. There's absolutely no question over the sort of detrimental impact that the COVID pandemic has had to people's lives, but it should also be recognised that it has fast-tracked some significant, significant change in thinking and ways of working. So on the face of it, the attributes of shopping centres and high streets make an ideal fit for healthcare facilities got good public transport connectivity, pedestrian access, you've got separate service access, you've got car parking, and you've got the opportunity of multiple different unit sizes. Now the accessibility element is important to health on the high street concept, uh, not just in the physical sense of transport, 
but also in being approachable and the ability to reach the people that may never go to their GP, the more vulnerable people that really do need to go to the GP but just don't get there. The whole experience of all those involved, whether it's patients, visitors and staff, is absolutely key to the success. Now, there's an opportunity to provide a wider holistic offering. So it's not just outpatient services as we know it. It's diagnostic facilities, it's community-based cancer treatments, sitting alongside kind of complementary well-being services. So whether that's mental health support services, whether it's citizens' advice, whether it's cancer information and support centres. And that's all about broadening, broadening the range of what's on offer and supporting and participating in the design of healthy communities and places. Allied health retailers, so your pharmacies, your opticians, your health food shops, already make up about 5% of total shopping centre stock. Uh, and there's definitely an opportunity for that proportion to increase uh, with footfall driven by the health on the high street concept. So it's really looking at a kind of health campus. Now the vision is much more than just a strategy for how we repurpose vacant space on the high street. It's a vision that delves into how we value health within our communities bringing clinical and holistic health and well-being services into vacant high street units could help tackle health inequalities, improve population health, address the growing crisis of social isolation and mental health. There are benefits for everyone. NHS trusts have new well-located spaces to provide care for patients. Patients can access healthcare in more convenient ways. Landlords have reliable long-term tenants for vacant properties and adjacent tenants have increased footfall. So looking beyond healthcare provision, the NHS has a wider role to play in influencing the shape of local communities. I'd now like to hand over to Ash and Serena to talk us through uh, NHS Dorset and how they've driven their at, um, health villages concept. Thank you. So our journey started really uh, way before even the pandemic hit in terms of thinking about how you use space in a different way. So you see a picture here of a fit deployable field hospital used by the British Army, but there's field hospitals used around the world, both by armed forces, by NGOs, and on humanitarian operations. They have, and they are designed to normally take over a space and utilize that space to deliver care. What they do is they allow clinicians and healthcare prof uh, professionals to work at the top of their license. They work on limited variation, modularity, and adaptability and agility. And so, Taking that concept, what you had was the Nightingales. So the Nightingales were developed around those kind of principles, taking a particular clinical model, reduce, making sure that people work to the top of the licence, but reducing that variation and thinking about the space in a different way. So we people started to think about things like flow, logistics, infrastructure, digital, and how that can integrate with the building, and also to do it quickly and fast, and using uh, a little as much material as you could to deliver the effect that you want. Using those principles, you then saw during the COVID crisis, the large vaccination centres being produced. So once again, people started to think about space that wasn't in additional space. And then you started to see vaccination centres, what do we need to do? Well, we need to connect them with the community because it's the community we need to vaccinate. And the community is in, in the urban, the conurbations or in market towns. And then we started to look at, well, where would you go? What kind of buildings do you use? And then you saw people looking at um, um, here, an international conference centre, looking at a department store. And all those ideas started to think about how we could do those flows and modularity in a different way. And that kind of gave us the challenge. And we had the problem in Dorset of a significant amount of population 
that was on a waiting list as a result of COVID. And somebody said, can we ch change the way that we deliver outpatient assessment centres? And for those that don't know about an outpatient assessment centre, for those that go to hospital, they're normally built outside of a town. In the Victorian time, it's because you put them outside because if you had ill people, you put them away, you don't want them near the people that are healthy. But actually, that's carried on. And if you want to get to hospital that's an out-of-town area, you've got to drive there. You can't, there's no train station. There's very limited bus routes. And so what we decided to do was to say, actually, why don't we put something into the community? Now, outpatient assessment centres are for people who are, not, who are fairly well. And if you turn up at an outpatient hospital and you go and see the traditional sign, you'll see sign upon sign upon sign put up there and then people get lost because they always put them up, they never take them down and they always never put the one up at that junction where you need it. So you just end up being late. So all of a sudden productivity is down. So we took the concepts and we set this ambition of setting a delivery of a high flow clinical assessment facility that was able to operate in an environment to enable triage and the risk stratification. In other words, we had uh, 112,000 people on the waiting list in Dorset. Our population is just over 800,000. See the size of the problem? So, but not everybody who is on a waiting list needs to go to an operation. They need to be seen, they need to be assessed. And some people have been waiting for a while. So it was about improving the time and absolutely retriaging and actually standing the risk to each of those individuals. Who needs to go first on those 112,000? And that's what, and also if you do that, if you are going to wait a bit longer, how do you wait well? How do you make sure that you, you absolutely, because for some things it might be a musculoskeletal. You've got a knee problem that needs to be sorted, but you're not in the sort of at risk of, of a life-threatening disease. So you need to be managing the condition to ensure you're good if you need an operation, or maybe you don't need it at all. And so therefore, we were, we were given the challenge. We set up a, looked at, I found a department store, Bills, if anybody's heard of them. They went bust before the COVID. Uh, real estate, legal and general, are the landlords. And basically, they had a spare floor that was basically their soft furnishings department. So I thought, ideal. It's a shopping centre. Paul is connected to a railway line, has no motorways, but it does a railway station, a bus terminus car parks and all the wayfinding has already been designed. I don't have to build a car park, I don't have to build anything, the community's got it all there already. So what we need to do is plug into that community. And so we were given the task, we then looked at the building, we did a quick fit out, the nightingales were godsend, why? Because guess what, we dropped six of them, we kept one of them opening which is now in Exeter, but we still had the kit. We purchased the kit, so 70% of this particular site is reconstructed out of existing material. Didn't have to buy any new stuff. I didn't have to build a building. I didn't have to do anything. All those things that, were, that I needed weren't there. Didn't, I were already there. And also, it's 50% cheaper to use an existing building than it is to build a brand new build, in cost-wise. And we know now, the challenge is not just about sustainability, but it's also about finding material and the cost of those materials. And so, in, in other words, how are you gonna deliver these effective facilities if you've got a limited budget and limited resources. Think differently, what could you use? And the high street is the answer. But also, we engage with the community. This was co-designed with the people of Dorset. We asked the community, we've got a monography suite in there, we've got an ophthalmology lane. An ophthalmology lane is literally, you go through seven, seven stages. If you go to a traditional ophthalmology department, you'll sit in a waiting area, we've got rid of that. We don't have waiting areas, we have a gallery. We don't have a reception, we have an information point. We, we have na patient navigators, no signage, 
And we then got the art students, the architect students at Arts University of Bournemouth, to design the wayfinding, and then they did the research. Because somebody who is 21 years old, with no preconceptions, does a literature review, completely thinks differently, and looks across the world to reimagine how you can do stuff, and then tell us what the community and the people need to make it very effective. And by the way, when you use that as part of an architectural design course, you don't get a consultant fee for £28,000. Because guess what? It was field work. So all I had to do was pay £2,500 for the materials. Bang, we've got it. So I'm going to stop talking there, take questions later. All I have to say is that the site was thought about in April of 2021. And in November of 2021, it was a fully operating site dealing with now up to 12 different specialities. I would add it's agnostic, it has no specific weighting area for a specific department other than ophthalmology, which is obviously eyes, and monography, which is the breast screening. All the other areas are completely agnostic. So you go in there, take over service, design what you want to do. It's a serviced office for healthcare. So you can sweat it for 24 hours, seven days a week if you needed to, and different services come in. And when a consultant said to me, that desk has not got any drawers, I said, that's because you've got a day sack, it's not your desk. It's yours when you need it, but then it's going to be somebody else's tomorrow, because we need to do what the patients need. I'll stop talking because I could talk forever. I'll hand over to Sri. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Um, so taking on what Ash has just said is that, you know, there's a bit of a hybrid as well because we couldn't just do it in one part of the population in Dorset because it's, it's quite a wide area. And as Ash said, the, the waiting list was quite um, significant. Um, and we had an ageing population and unfortunately we had some of the worst waiting lists um, during COVID. So what that allowed us to do was the learnings from the vaccination centre and what the concept we started in Beals was actually then to have a temporary pop-up centre. So during the pandemic, some of those um, advantages were working from home. So there then became all of these buildings where people now were doing hybrid working and actually did they really use all of that assets that they currently had? So rather than us thinking about, like Asha said, building something new, building car parks, money that you know the health system just doesn't have and the agility for us to react really quickly we took an output we took a ex-council building next to a library and we converted it in five weeks um not we're not bragging are we ash that we uh, slightly quicker than their feels um and we made it into a pop-up center now if you'd have said before covid that you know a load of consultants were going to see patients in gazebos inside a building you would have probably thought i was mad but what that enabled us with COVID is people just wanted to be seen and actually it gave us the opportunity to think differently, not only from clinicians, but also from patients and the whole experience. Um, so as you can see here, it literally was as basic as it is on that screen. In five weeks, there's very little you can do in a council building. Um, the good thing is, is, is the net, as Ash said, all the active transport, everything else is, at, is there pretty much in a council building. You've got pretty good um, network links and everything else, um, especially if it's already been um, used for an office. So what we did was we literally just sorted the floor out. That's, that's the only thing I've realised that you need to worry about really and open some uh, windows. Then you literally can put everything else that's on wheels. So everything in there was wheeled in um, and done in five weeks. What this enabled us to do was learn, do that whole fail fast. So if it didn't work, we could have changed it around and done something different. So things that you would have done proof of concepts previously that would have taken months and months to design, we could have this up in moments, move it around and adapt it to the style. As I mentioned, this is the other side. Ooh. Oh dear. This is the other side of the building and it's next to a library. So what we have also with our communities is thinking about 
what can we also then adapt with our libraries? There's lots of things going on within the community that ne not necessarily do we adapt with our high, with with the health and our high street. So how do we bring all that together so we can all benefit from? And obviously it's right next to the high street. So you know if somebody from our rural areas has one bus a day, actually the opportunity for them to do their shopping, to meet their friends, those things that they potentially have missed out on for a number of years, now they're able to do all in one place. And again, it takes that fear of going into a big um, acute site that we just don't need people to go to. Um, so some of the outcomes were pretty phenomenal considering it was literally some gazebos in a building. Um, we saw over 15,000 patients um, and the biggest bit for us is that we were working smarter not harder. The way that we were working for that was all around the patients. It enabled us to see 30% um, more patients so we reduced the orthopaedic waiting list by 60% um, which is pretty significant um, over that year of uh, being temporary. Um, we then also realised that it was quite a good agility as in we moved it within a day. So overnight we moved it into a different um, building, so um, an ICS building, so um, an NHS organisation. They had a ground floor and we used then that to move across. Once we sorted the flooring out, it was really easy for us to transport everything you saw in the previous slide over then to another building. Then that allowed us then um, to be working on um, the permanent site which we've redeveloped. Um, the other things we've done is also integration of other services because if you think about the space differently you can think about the patient pathway but also think about what other services you all put in together we know that in our acute sites you can't just keep building because we're running out of room but it enables us to move those um, services that don't rely on the hospital out of the hospital to then think differently when we are in the hospital so then we're able to reduce that um, outpatient appointments but as well as those complex procedures that you'll see the waiting lists um, have risen significantly um, so the biggest bit for here is, um, and Ash mentioned it earlier, is we, we do these rock drills, so these rehearsal of concepts, it's something that um, used in the Nightingale, but this is where you get everybody involved, whether it's from the architects to the cleaners to the clinicians to the public um, and our patients, and all but went through all of the layouts and went through each step of it to say, does that work? What could we do? All challenge each other in a very different um, way than we've probably traditionally done it. But that enabled us to work really quickly, but also then think differently about the design. And what that has led to now is um, opening at the end of this year, um, we've got the two, the two floors of a four-storey um, council building with the two floors are admin, so we've moved all the admin that we can possibly off the site, um, off the um, traditional Dorset County Hospital site. And then we've got two floors with diagnostics, with generic clinic rooms, um, with all x-rays and a procedure room as well. So all of those really simple procedures and um, quick appointments you'll be able to now have in the high street as and have a different experience than you would have done typically in the hospital. And I think that's it. That is great. Thank you very much, all of you. Um, I think we'd all agree that there's some outstanding sort of health outcomes from these projects from a patient perspective. Uh, and without getting too sort of in-depth in the governance of the NHS for everybody else here, um, I think we all know that traditionally within the NHS, delivering these projects takes a huge amount of time going through the, both that governance and the technical guidance associated with these facilities. And do you think that the, the sort of onset of COVID has sort of enabled and accelerated that change and are we in danger of sort of reverting back to type as the further in history COVID becomes? Me? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so having lived the whole journey from the Nightingale through and being involved with the projects 
you can map the experience and the, what you saw was a change of collaborative working and risk aversion and thinking slightly differently. So what you saw was, um, and, and, and building regulations. So the, the book says you can't do that, but nobody actually realised who made the rule up in the first place and what was the reason why you made the rule. So you went back to kind of understanding the stuff in a different way. And the other thing we did is we involved multiple teams involved in the co-design and co-production. So what you had in the past was you might have had, and Hannah might back me up, um, or not, uh, was, um, you know, uh, a planner would go in and the architect would go in and then we'd appoint a building process and a builder would come in and tender. But the builder wasn't involved in the design of the building at the same time with the clinician, with the patient, to make it all work together. And so during uh, the COVID crisis, we pulled all these teams together in a room and because we didn't know what to do, so we worked it out together. And I think that's created a way of working. Now, whatever you think about good decisions, bad decisions about the management of the crisis, what people did learn, we all learned to work differently. We learned to use uh, media differently. We used technology differently, but we also then started to engage back with the communities that we probably might have not engaged because it was the community where the threat was and we had to engage with them. And I think what won't change is this working on community engagement and shaping the future designs of healthcare, social care, and the wider determinants of health, things like just making sure you have a good life, making sure they are involved in the design of these facilities. I think that's the thing that would carry on. I, I think that's probably, for those of you who have been here over the last few days, I think that's probably been echoed in a number of the presentations, really. One of the, the key things that I'll take away from this is actually that collaboration effort and just bringing together and giving people license almost to work differently and then challenge, as I say, the, the established norms. Um, I think from just staying on the sort of almost the political angle again, I think, um, Ashley, you talked about the, the sort of historical change of driving out into sort of commuter belt or you know, out of town centres for hospital facilities. And, and I think that's currently the trend with diagnostic centres as well. A lot of these are being placed, and we certainly own a few of them, on in industrial parks on the, on the edge of town centres. Do you think this now has the ability to reverse that trend and bring things back into the heart of the community? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think when Hannah talked about appropriate facilities that could work on the high street, assessment and diagnostics are classic because how many of you go and have a hearing test or, an, or have an eye test? Where do you go? You go to Boots. Where do you go to Boots? You go Boots on your high street. You don't, you don't, if you had, a, you had an option of going to Boots on the high street or Boots in an out, out of area where you had to drive six miles, 20 miles to get there, and you only could do one thing. But you go into the community, you go to Boots, what else do you do? You go for coffee, you do a bit of Primani shopping, you do a lot of other stuff in that one location. And that's because when we're talking about people who have not, we're in a bit of a crisis where you haven't got the money, that one journey, somebody's making a decision about putting food on a table or having a journey to a town if they haven't got a car because they've got to make that choice. So if we can make that choice work for the investment of that one pound, can do multiple things on one journey, then we start to think and challenge the fact that don't put stuff out of, out of area. And yes, for us in Dorset, we, our community diagnostic centres are built in the community. They're in Dorchester, they're in, Dol they're in Paul, they're not outside. And people who, People will want to build some nice brand new building outside because yeah. it's cheap and brownfield, but God, there's a building that's not being used already that's even cheaper. Go there. Yeah. You look at department stores and the sort of scale of some of the buildings, they would be suitable for that type of thing. 
in the town centre, city centre. It, it's certainly something that we found at the moment, particularly with rising construction costs and just general material costs, that if we, you know, our, our sort of net zero carbon design guide advocates that actively that research into existing buildings and reusing those. Because I think, again, the location of those is quite important socially. And that, I think, Hannah, you touched on that sort of social element to it all. And how important is that actually in terms of health outcomes as well, this, this interaction with people? Absolutely, yeah, no, really important. I was just going to pick up on another point before about the, the sort of the fear factor as well, that people during COVID, they wanted to stay miles away from the hospital. They didn't want to go anywhere near them, anywhere near where people where they might catch it. Yeah, but they were actually happy-ish, generally, people to go to your supermarket or to go into your town centre, to, you know. So that's something to you know, definitely take on board. You know, people accepted a new way of doing things. So I think that that's you know really important, and yeah, the, the social aspect is is huge. We all know the the impact that COVID has had in terms of you know being locked away for weeks, months on end, not meeting with people, not socialising. You know, it's had a huge impact on people, and it, it still is. So you know, being able to encourage people to go to their high street, to then go to that appointment, to do other things, as Ash and Serena have both said, is is really important. Mm -hmm. I think it's an important element of the design that we've adopted sort of recently is to sort of move away from that sort of clinical yes. look and feel yeah. and you, you need to actually sort of engage with people and understand It can be that sort of softer, slightly yeah. softer side of things. Outpatient services, yes, we still need to meet all the required infection control regimes so it can be easily cleaned. We're not going to pass on bugs to people. But there is a different way of doing that. It doesn't need to look like a hospital environment. I don't know for anybody, I won't keep hogging the questions if there's anybody, there's nothing coming through there's on a hand up. I do, oh, but we'll, hands up. We'll, we'll go with hands <laughs> up sort of approach. So, uh, uh, if you just oh. wait one minute, I think there's a microphone going to um, come down. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> I was just interested to know if you'd done any, um, collected any data on your projects about um, the reduction in carbon uh, on travel, because I know that the NHS is are allegedly responsible for one in four um, vehicles on the road at any one time and I was interested to know if you've done any sort of analysis on that and come up with any good figures. Yeah I've not done exact analysis on it but it's something that's picked up in the NHS net zero design standard the new one that's come out um, so your, your sort of standard net zero strategies uh, the NHS has gone to a slightly different level they've taken on board the travel of patient staff visitors they've taken on board the embodied carbon in construction so they've taken it to a different level and obviously the health on the high street element you know it is prime for that because your buildings your vacant buildings um sort of sort of 65 percent of carbon is already in your substructure and your superstructure and that stays if you're going to repurpose a building. If you leave a lot of the facade in place, that carbon is up to sort of 75, 80%. So that's a huge, you know, saving already. So, it, it, you know, it, and then taking on board the fact that the transport links are great in a city centre or town centre, it's all there already. But yeah, we do need to, now I think we've got some of these projects on board. I think doing that extra level of analysis would be really good just to test that data. It's a, it's a very important point, actually. I think outside of the built environment, sort of surface transport is probably the biggest polluter or you know, carbon emitter within the UK. Yeah. So anything that we can sort of do really to sort of drive that down um, is, is, has to be sort of supported and, and sort of actioned upon. Um, from our own perspective, I mean, we've, we've developed a couple of GP surgeries on the high street. Unfortunately, they've not, we've, we've had predicted data from those, but they've not 
long enough been open to give us any sort of real empirical data that we can use. But there's certainly, both from an embodied point of view and a transport point of view, the arguments around that from a carbon perspective are, are pretty much indefeatable. Hi, um, my name's Charlotte. I recently moved back to Aberdeen. And I um, don't know how much you know about Aberdeen, but Aberdeen has fallen apart and it, since COVID, but it started long before then. And the main shopping street is 50% empty units. The rest of them are vape shops, charity shops, or Poundland, one Lakeland, which I visit. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the problems we're looking at is we cannot have pop-ups because of the Scottish government has this empty unit relief for property owners. And, if, and to get new tenants to move in, they cannot get their 12 months of free rates when they move in unless these empty, this empty rate benefit's gone ahead. So how do we get around that? We can't have the community use this street as pop-ups. So, I mean, I know you're talking for NHS England. This is NHS Scotland and, you know, it's ridiculous that they don't, they're not the same system. But anyway, hey-ho. Um, so I just don't, you know, I. I love this and I, I want to see it happen. I mean, John Lewis is now a vaccination centre, a bit dystopian, um, but that was at a time during COVID. COVID's not over, but it's not, you know, that was quite unique. Now it's just empty. So what can, like, do you have any, I, I don't know how to get around this because I'm trying to join um, this like Union Street, um, revive, like I'm, I'm part of trying to help sort it out now. And like, we, we can't have pop-ups. I think, yeah, when Southwark's house in Dorchester, that you've got a 20-year lease on that building now, haven't you? So yeah. it's, a, it's, a diff it's not, you've done your kind of pop-up trial, you've tested things, you've made sure it's going to work, and now you've got that longer term. Yeah, I definitely think it's a challenge, and obviously, especially with rates and the way that, and especially from a retail perspective, it's, it is a real tough environment at the moment. And I think having just pop-up shops, especially with when we've seen in the environment, I think we could get away with it and start with the COVID. I think patients probably a little bit more resistant if they're in gazebos now, whereas it was a point in time that worked really well. But I think because the model now, we're being able to prove and, and test that we have actually done that model, then you've got more opportunity to then actually go for a lease and a, and a design that we know that's tried and tested. And I suppose, you know, we'd be welcome to share, share the designs with you. Um, so if you, you can kind of go through and, and happy to have a conversation, I'm sure, afterwards. Why don't you fly down and sit, well, <laughs> I well, not fly, walk, 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 walk down. <laughs> Walk down, uh, a sponsored walk at the same time, and come to the south coast. But you I'm bring, moving back the second I can, don't you worry. Bring, like. the, bring, the, bring the power influencers down, get them to see what you can do, and, then, and that's the way you change mindsets about what you can do on the high street. And it's not just one shop. What we call it is a health campus. Yeah. So we connect all, as Hannah said, we've got um, nutrition shops, bike shops, there's a whole range so of things. So this street that I'm talking about is a mile long, 50% vacant. Yeah. There's many properties vacant all next to each other with windows smashed, with yeah. seagull poo all over them. Yeah. Do you know? So you have to revitalise the whole... It's, yeah. you, if you do one building, you need to do the whole lot and map it. And, it, and Boscombe are doing the moment, that at the moment. Boscombe's one of our areas with deprivation. Same problem. Vape shops, bookies. But actually... The way you do it is you reimagine the shops, and it's the other thing is about giving those space over the non-health things to startups. They can't do that though, can they? 
Well, what you do, I, you I, have to politically change them. You've got to get the get the new head of the government come down, get them down, and we'll explain you know it. What I find change entertaining policy. is so Shell have just moved their head their office onto that street. They're, they're only donating a hundred thousand pounds. Like, how much money are they making at the moment? And they can out of Aberdeen, and they could only possibly donate a hundred thousand pounds. And we work with Legal and General, who've got now. It's interesting. We've got we've been working. They've got an ethical social bonds. So they've actively been involved in co-designing, supporting the, the, and investing in the high street because for them, it's a different concept. They've got this money and they want to do it in a different way because people want to invest now in companies that have got a social value. Shell doesn't, apparently. So that's what, and, we, and if you choose the right landlord, it can make, be amazing. The other thing I, is I am aware that that's a sort of a problem across, this, and it's probably wider than this, this sort of debate is focused on, but I do know... Uh, just reading around there, I think the British Retail Consortium said that it's basically one in seven high street shops are, are vacant. Yep. Uh, and on that pop-up theme there, I, I know that there are consultants in the marketplace who are pulling together strategies to, to enable that repopulation of them. I'll gladly share you some articles that I've, I've got on that afterwards, and you, that's something separate that you can probably take up directly with them. I think but some of it a is... a tax point of view, again, some of the things that have come, been coming around across the whole conference this week is that we do have to sort of rethink tax and incentivise that sort of sustainability and, and carbon cost within the whole system as well and I think you know the, this sort of continual discussion around that and, and elevating that back up to sort of white, Whitehall has, has got to really accelerate that and I hope to sort of push that change forward. I think Thank some you. of it is the sort of the you mentioned John Lewis and we've got a similar project it's a Debenhams when Debenhams um, closed for the University of Gloucestershire. So they, they bought the Debenhams department store in the city of Gloucester. They had that foresight. They decided we want a city campus. We want to do something differently. And it's for their faculty of health. So it's all about training new professionals. It's about supporting the local trusts. It's got health patient facing services in it. And it's already, it's in quite a deprived area of the city. It's got a really sort of um, down market kind of shopping centre that's like like you're saying it's got vape shops it's you know it's not great but actually people are already starting to take properties the building's only just started on site but people are starting to take those properties in anticipation of all these students arriving in the city to kind of big up that entire area so yeah it, it's, we are it's quite lucky now because we have a big student population but obviously they're not here right now so. yeah <laughs> I, I think it's you know, part of the, that problem I think and you've touched on it there with Shell really is that private sector has to wake up to this problem and, and contribute in a, in a meaningful way if they're actually going to be you know, valid for the next generation as well. Um, it's something that we as a business have taken quite seriously with. You know, we've raised a social bond and, and a lot of what we do is around that social impact and we, we have a, sort of a fund and we, we you know, actively encourage grants to charities you know, to occupy space, vacant space we'll give away for free to these charity groups if it chimes with what we're doing start giving making it free and just covering the rates and stuff they just have to start doing it Aberdeen could so do with this because to put in perspective sorry I keep talking about Aberdeen but basically I had to get my MP involved to get me a GP because there are not enough GPs in Aberdeen for the population mm-hmm. and it's it so and we had a, without going into healthcare and deep de- detail yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting things about when we speak to our GPs is the GPs are doing more things than they should be doing because they are having to cover the, the social side of things and provide advice for rather than the things they need to focus on. So one of the things is about creating when you create these communities on High Street, 
creating the resources that the community needs. So for community support, community fridges, uh, different different other services, citizens' advice, active we have active and live well Dorset. All those things suddenly where they go there first and see the GP for what they need to do the GP for, rather than the GP spending 15 minutes with a patient or 20 minutes, but actually 15 minutes that discussion was about actually signposting how they can find food or it needs to be that. the NHS not the National Sickness Service basically yeah. so it's, it's a, a everybody kind yeah. of yeah absolutely. it's a system-wide problem and it I is. think and people need to sort of focus on the fact that not everybody needs to see a GP yeah. to get the appropriate care that they need but I think the system has become overwhelmed by people you know the whole array of reasons political social and, and otherwise but I think, you know, over the next few years, the NHS now has a real opportunity, I guess, to sort of accelerate that change off the back of projects that we're seeing around like this and, and obviously the COVID response as well. Thanks very much. No, you're most welcome. <laughs> Anyone want to talk about their own city? <laughs> Questions from anybody else? Okay, you've got this one. Whatever it is. I think, well, I think you've touched on it already, actually, because I was going to say, in terms of staffing... Can you hear me? Sorry, yeah. I was going to say, in terms of staffing these places, how are you going about that? So you've already mentioned that it might take some of the time off doctors, but elsewhere in the system, have you got the resources available to basically be in these units? I think it's a fantastic idea. I was just wondering, because there's those wider system problems of staff shortages in the NHS. So do you want to cover the workforce one? Um, yeah, yeah, I can do. So for when, for like putting the outpatient assessment centre, because of the way that the model's working, actually we didn't need any increased staff because of things like volunteers and the, and the better wayfinding. Actually, it was about having that one appointment and that patient not moving to the next room, to the next room, to the next room. So if they're all in one place and it's only the, the right appropriate clinician going to that patient, you've then cut out three or four steps in someone's pathway, which then that means that we could reinvest that staffing to somewhere else in the hospital so that's how we've done the model and it's very brave and bold because it is a different way of working the clinicians all work in one room rather than all single offices and, and generic rooms that they would traditionally do so I think it's about thinking about how we're doing the staffing models rather than traditionally thinking that staffing's always the concern yes there's definitely things that we do need additional staff for but sometimes when you look outside that box and look at the different way that you could do the pathway you're able then to look at when we talk about that top of licenses that that clinician might be able to see three different areas in that same amount of time but the patient experience has still been exactly the same time may even be a longer appointment because we've got those services all working together rather than being in three or four different locations so that's how we've got around it in those types of environments it's exactly that so when we did ophthalmology Lanes. So an ophthalmology lane, same amount of patients, you'd, you'd spend all morning seeing there as a patient. Uh, when you suddenly create, break it down into a design in a building where you say there's five stations for a standard screen uh, ophthalmology appointment, you then put them all aligned, not in different parts of the building. You have a single operational team looking after the building, not multiple reception areas. And then you have your medical team focused in one area for the for that period of time so they do two solid days of those clinics not running multiple different clinics where your consultant is spending maybe a third of their time moving between different parts of a hospital suddenly you see if you just the the way you can reimagine a a, a space and modulize it and reduce variation 
you can then use the workforce in a much more effective way. And for the workforce, they have a much better experience because they are actually working in that they feel they're being more productive. And for a good example is one consultant tells the story when she goes around, in the traditional model, I would go into a consulting room, I'd wait for 10 minutes while I watched one of my patients take off six coats in the winter. Now, what we do now is you go to a room, the health, a healthcare assistant will prepare you, prepare the information, and the consultant services multiple clinics. And when, the, when it's ready, it's a little flag, the red flag goes down, the green flag goes up, and they spend 50 minutes time with the patient, talking about really about the patient, quality time. And then when they've got decision, they've made the thing, they hand that patient back to the team and move to the next one. That's a very effective way for the consultant to work, at, and consultants want to do the best they can for the patients. They don't want to sit there wasting time when they can see a patient because they're passionate about making people better. They don't choose to, to not see these patients. They want to see as many as they can all the time. It's a way you reimagine a building, and that's what the team here have done. And the digital technologies as well around how can we digitalise things that were patient you know, facing but that were paper based and all those things. Actually there's a whole different way you can do it which gives them a better experience as well. Um, we touched upon it briefly there in terms of the answer to the, around the, the high streets elements but I think we all probably know that, that the presently the NHS is both capital and revenue sort of constrained. In terms of transferring this type of facility wider across the country and rolling out as a you know, nationwide programme, which I think we'd all feel is justified, is there a role for the private sector to sort of assist yeah. in that as well? So we've just done NHS Confederation are a big group. They're like the, they're a voice piece of changing and transformation. And we in Dorset have just uh, have done a, a think piece and we're working on some articles. Hannah doesn't know it yet, she's writing one. Uh, but it's about re-engaging with commercial, re-engaging with communities and unlocking different resources. What you've got is local authorities working in one way investing. You've got maybe commercial investing in a site. You've got the NHS. If you all come together collaboratively yeah. and you match funds and you look, you don't, then you can use money in a better way. So, for instance, we know that the landlords want to revitalise the high street and they're prepared to invest we had a story of uh, a firm called Mercy Care who engaged with uh, in Liverpool. And because the real estate was going to be used and invested in, the landlord invested uh, £5 million in refurbing and restoring an historical building that was going to be used for community health. Suddenly, you, it's, it's, but people don't, if you don't ask, you don't get. I was, a, I was a broker many years ago, so finding the money is not a problem. It's just getting people to work together in a clever way. And as you described earlier, Sometimes people need to reimagine how you can unlock resources. There's money out there, but left hand, right hand doesn't know how to use the money. I think it's about I, using I it in the right way, isn't it? The, the fact that you've kind of gone through this whole process of testing things with kind of temporary-ish situations means that by the time we've got to the current project at Southwark's House in Dorchester and we're doing the permanent build, we know that it's going to work because it's been tested so the money has been invested in the right place. I think the, health, the whole healthcare economy needs to come together really. At the moment we're all too aware that there are, there's a sort of silo method of working, that you know, social care, yeah. primary care, acute care, all have their own sort of separate pockets and nobody's really evaluating the cost per patient over the whole system. So it's all about now shifting the money to prevention and not treatment. Yeah. Because for every 
every £100, £99 invested in acute and £1 is invested in prevention. If you invest in prevention, you don't end up in hospital. Some people will, but generally if you invest, and it starts at the very early age. It starts with a young, it starts with a mother before the child is born. It's, that's where the investment starts. The return in your investment is in 20, 30 years, not today. But you have to invest in the future now. And as, a, as you say, reimagine how you use your real estate to invest in that prevention. Because 80% of health is in the determinants of health, not in the treatment of health. And we have to change, be brave. And we're trying to be brave. I think, well, certainly from somebody that's worked in the industry for quite a while, it's, it's, it's amazing really to see this, this sort of change being picked up really. And what we sort of need to do you know, is collaborate system-wide now to sort of accelerate that because I think there are I think everybody sort of knows thinks they know the solution to some of these problems and it's time to perhaps depoliticize some elements of it all and, and move forward on that basis yeah yep. just part of the last quote because I think it's quite any relevant. questions from it I think I'm getting a nod at the back now we're, we've <laughs> we're running out of time it's going to clash with everything else but um Please. I was just putting up that final quote. I thought that was just quite useful to kind of close on. It's this whole aspect of kind of healthy individuals in healthy communities and a healthy society and healthy planet. And the hospitals are for repair. That, that's, you know, when it's all gone wrong. But actually, we need to deal with it up front. As, as Ash said, it's the prevention aspect of things. It's a very laudable note to, to finish on. And uh, please join me in thanking the panel. <laughs>